0: Trauma Therapist Podcast Episode Two
1: Seventy
0: Nine. Welcome to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson, and this is a podcast where I interview thought leaders and game changers in the fields of trauma addiction, mindfulness, and yoga with the goal of inspiring and educating anyone who works with individuals who've been impacted by trauma. Super excited to hear here with me today. Here we go. All right, guys, welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson, and uh, this is the podcast where I have the opportunity to, to speak with people who are helping individuals who've been impacted by trauma, who are uh, dedicating their lives to uh, this, this process and this journey. And today, I'm very excited to have as my guest, Laurie Kahn. Laurie, welcome. Thank you. Laurie Kahn is a pioneer in the field of trauma treatment. For more than 30 years, she specialized in the treatment of survivors of childhood abuse. In 1980, she founded Women Care Counseling and Training Center. Since then, her ideas and expertise have served people who've experienced child abuse as well as hundreds of clinicians who have graduated from her trauma (laughs) consultation training program. Uh, Psych Central, reviewing her book, Baffled by Love, Stories of the Lasting Impact of Childhood Trauma by Loved Ones, says it's filled with touching stories, poignant moments, and brilliant therapeutic insights. Baffled by Love should be required reading for any clinician, new or seasoned. Uh, Bessel van der Kolk says, in regards to her book, a sensitive and wise book, Baffled by Love is about the healing power of sharing, exploring, and finding words for oneself. A deeply comforting book, not too shabby, Laurie. <laughs> yeah. All right. Welcome. Uh, share with our listeners where you're calling from, uh, where you're from, and then let's okay. get going. Yeah.
1: I'm calling from Chicago, actually, Evanston, Illinois. <clears throat>
0: and All right.
1: Where
0: are you from originally?
1: Uh, New York.
0: All right. Nice. Um, are you going to be at the IS, uh, TSS conference coming uh, up? Maybe. The
1: ISTSD conference is yeah. the next one. I think we missed the ISTSS oh. one was a couple weeks ago. Right, yes, right. I will be. The
0: one in Chicago. Oh, great. Okay, so I might see you there. That would be lovely. Um, all right, so let's start out with a quote, uh, a mantra, a, a an excerpt. What do you have for us?
1: Well, uh, the quote that kind of came to me was one I had seen a long time ago that – sort of struck me like a lightning bolt. And it was actually from Mother Teresa. And she says, the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. So that's my quote. And I think um, what really has informed my work is to start thinking more deeply and broadly about what happens to people who are um, experienced trauma in childhood and what happens to what they understand about love and how Um, that continues to haunt them throughout life if it's not sort of attended to or understood in some new ways. Mm -hmm. So it's really very much the core of both my book and really uh, 30 years of thinking about complex PTSD and relational trauma.
0: When did that, this idea, this, 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 uh, the essence of this quote, when did, when did it become resonant for you, important for you and how did that process happen for you?
1: Well, that's a great question. It really has been an evolution. I think when I was sort of a beginning young feminist therapist, sort of issues of love in terms of some of Carol Gilgan's work around her awareness that girls' self-esteem really gets injured when they move into adolescence and start engaging in love relationships and that they actually became an assault on their self-esteem and there became uh, more significant symptoms of eating disorders and depression and self-injury. And I thought, there's something very toxic about what girls know and learn about love. And that was sort of my beginning. Um, that was sort of pre-trauma therapist. Mm-hmm. And then, as I became a trauma therapist, the issues of love and being injured by people who are supposed to be trustworthy and who are supposed to love you became very poignant. And um,
0: yeah. Okay, let's let's talk about how you got into this uh, this field and specialization. What w- w- tell us that story, Laurie?
1: Well, I think the story is really that um, for 30 years, I've specialized in people who experience what we now call complex PTSD. So who had really prolonged kinds of abuse and neglect throughout childhood. And, you know, what I kept seeing was rather than people presenting with what the classic symptoms of PTSD are, of flashbacks, dysregulation, addictions, uh, not that that wasn't there in some ways, but that the very most frequent presenting problem in my practice was that the people who came to me wanted to be loved and wanted to love someone. And it was going very badly.
0: So, so not to interrupt here. So, so just to give us context, So you had been in practice or you were uh, seeing clients prior to kind of specializing in trauma. Yes. Is that what yes. Ha- okay. Yes. okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And so, I
1: also run a training program for therapists. So I'd been doing a lot of Teaching and training, and you know, observing something that just kept coming on my radar. And I would sort of ignore it and push it to the side. And the more I ignored it, the louder it screamed at me. And then I became aware I have presented at a lot of international conferences. And um, at one conference, I asked people you know, how many people here think about love or have ever loved one of their clients? And and the room got so quiet, like I had asked about something really inappropriate. Um, and so I, I realized that this was a topic, even though the topic of attachment, people were happy to talk about. Mm-hmm. But when I started talking about love and also how that might manifest in the therapeutic relationship, it was, I felt like I had touched some hidden taboo. And and so I ran home and I went through like all of my, you know, like 15 of my trauma books and I looked in the indexes for the word love and it was just conspicuously absent Mm And that the only references I saw were mostly warnings.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, be
1: careful about this thing called love. Like, um, you can't love your clients into health. And and I thought, is this something that we have to leave to the poets? Is this like right. outside of our realm of what we can talk about? But at the same time, it was the most compelling Um, issue for the clients who i was seeing
0: so you're you're seeing clients uh at this time you're how long have you been practicing at this time oh this this was going on let's (laughs) see uh let's say 20 years so you had been practicing 20 years before you kind of got in or specialized in trauma
1: let me see if that's accurate that was really a guess so i wrote I wrote my first article about um, uh, Betrayal Trauma is a Traumatic Experience of Love in 2006. So it must have been a little before
0: then. Okay, okay. So you, you kind of uh, realize that more and more, uh, the more clients you're seeing are uh, manifesting these symptoms, complex PTSD symptoms, and... Uh, the topic of love, the subject of love, keeps coming up. How So how did that unfold into creating this, this center for women?
1: Well, that existed. I see. <laughs> you know, so I had founded the center a long time ago, and it definitely had a trauma focus and a feminist relational focus.
0: I see, I see. Okay. So this topic of love is... Uh, Really interesting. I mean, I could imagine uh, how that (laughs) the audience at that conference just went silent. I mean, it's almost like you know inviting people to say, "Yes, I I love my client." You know, this kind of ethical ethical red flag there. Right. Right. So. All right. There's uh,
1: there's a wonderful story in my book. It's one of the first stories. And, and you know how sometimes your clients will just take you to a new place that you've sort of been resisting? So one of my clients said to me, who was a long-term client, um, at the end of a session, she looked at me and she said, I love you. And I was like a deer in headlights. <laughs> I thought... Uh, uh, compassion. I feel compassion. I feel empathy. (laughs) I, I care about you. And I just couldn't, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. And then she walked down the hall and she turned around and she said to me, you know, Lori, it wouldn't kill you to say you loved me too. Wow. And that just that started me thinking even more deeply about what is it we're doing with our clients and what are we trying to teach them around new models of love
0: Wow so that's that the that that sentence she shot at you is like a dagger through the heart man yes that's Wow. That's pretty intense. So this, well, this idea of, so what are you, I mean, obviously you're not going to give away the whole book, but what are you, what are you finding? And I I think, I don't think it's too difficult to to guess here, but the individuals who've been, uh, you know, have experienced ongoing traumatization, what happens to this idea of love? How is it distorted
1: Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that is um, hard for therapists to hold is that often the people who are abusing children, you know, are the same people who taught the child to ride a bicycle or introduce them to their favorite music. Um, So this idea that, you know, sort of abusers are separate and, and then there's the good parents that love you Mm -hmm. rather than it's often very complex. So for the child who attachment is the main survival drive, if the person who's supposed to love them also is hurting them, frightening them and abusing them, it's a terrible dilemma. And it's very difficult for the child to understand, well, what is this thing called love? And is someone hurting you part of love? Is Mm -hmm. like, what is it? So that often, you know, clients come with uh, beliefs about love that come out of sort of a toxic, traumatic environment. Mm -hmm. And so when they come into therapy, they're expectation of what a caring relationship is going to look like is often you know really uh fraught with all their early understandings of love that went terribly
0: wrong well the, i i guess there's for me you know as you're speaking uh, what's coming up for me is a uh uh a definition of love because i think it might seem very Obvious, but uh, obviously we're not talking here about um, you know a sexual or intimate right. part or aspect of love. Obviously, but I think uh, you know when when you know you're standing in front of a conference and you're asking people, you know, do you love? I think a lot of us that that thread of the definition come, comes yes. with it. Yeah. So. Right. Um, Right. So,
1: you know, I explore that a lot in my book, but I would say, you know, at its core, if you love someone, you have to care about their well-being. Mm -hmm. Like you can't just be empathic to them. You have to care about the impact you have on them. And if you're abusing someone, you're not thinking about the impact or their well-being at that moment. And um, I think to think about love that has several components, including a kind of accountability and responsibility as well as tenderness, um, but also maybe at its core is compassion, the Really holding that the people you love, you are going to care deeply about their well-being, and that you're really going to be as thoughtful and reflective as you can about not doing anything to damage that.
0: As you're talking, and I'm really appreciating this this topic because I'm uh, I don't recall covering this. It, topic in this depth on this podcast and kind of teasing out the, 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 the threads of, of love uh, within the context of the client-therapist relationship. So are, are you suggesting that um, this uh, loving, that it's necessary for the client—
1: yeah, it's a great question.
0: Well, hello, really let, me, let, me let, let me just finish my question. I, so that I want to just finish it. Are yeah. you saying that it's necessary for the therapist yeah. to, to love the client? No. Okay.
1: <laughs> Although I think sometimes we do. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's necessary for the therapist to model the components of what a healthy, loving relationship looks like and feels mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. You know, so some people who have experienced more toxic experiences of love. A lot of it is talking about what happens in the relationship and how they're showing you some of the faulty beliefs, you know, like, um, that they can violate your boundaries if they feel like it. Um, or, um, you know they can you know there are, I have hundreds of examples that therapists bring to me all the time around that our clients don't come with the understanding of what the norms are for healthy relationships so they enact that with us all the time mm-hmm. so to 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 keep those boundaries and to stay compassionate and to keep helping them understand what is faulty in the context of their traumatic experience about how they think about love it is part of the work. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of, I sort of see it sometimes as some people grow up with very toxic experience of love. And some of my clients grow up with a just chilling lovelessness. Mm-hmm. And I think when that's true, like you can't really, like a lot of therapists say, you have to love yourself. And I don't think you can love yourself if you've never known the interpersonal experience of love.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, wow, this is this is um, this is so. What's the word I just think so beneficial, so useful for for the listeners here? I, I know it is. Um, what what's the take home here for our listeners in terms of th- this idea of love with using utilizing with their clients? Uh, yeah,
1: yeah yeah. that's a great question. i I think the lens of understanding what I call, you know, a component of childhood trauma is a traumatic experience of love, that often the people who love them were the same people who hurt them, and that the uh, relational dilemmas, the attachment dilemmas that are caused by that are, you know, sort of Uh, glistening in the relationship between the client and the therapist all the time. And if you ignore them and don't pay attention to them, you're like missing like something so central and so potentially helpful. And it's not like being a loving therapist is going to heal your clients because they move into the relationship was such a well-earned distrust of tenderness and caring. And, you know, that part of it is really working with, you know, how it is they came to um, distrust relationship is a source of soothing. Uh-huh. And to also... Help our clients learn over time to recognize what trustworthiness looks like because the people they were supposed to trust were actually not trustworthy.
0: Right, right. You know, again, as you're speaking, I'm I'm wondering to myself how you personally got to this point. And I'm wondering what is required of the therapist of, of the, of the trauma worker to be able to model this idea.
1: Yes. yes. Those are two different questions. <laughs> um, uh, any idea which one you want me to, well, let's, let's do the, to? the,
0: the latter. Let's do. The, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Okay. Um, the latter is, you know, to me, this work requires an enormous amount of the, the therapist. Um, and I think it's enormously rewarding. Um, I think it requires a high level of self awareness because so much of the woundedness and what went wrong often is uh, our clients show us rather than tell us. So a lot of it, um, that the therapist really becomes like a finely tuned instrument. And our feelings and what our clients fill us with is often sort of the unspoken information about what went terribly wrong or what parts of themselves are disowned. Um, Because to stay in attachment with someone who's hurtful, you have to disown some information about them. So reintegrating those parts of themselves often has to, you know, happens in the context of the therapy relationship. So I would say, you know, uh, uh, what a lot of people are saying now, a high degree of mindfulness, an ability to reflect on your experience, um, a willingness to share your own uh affective experience with the client, um, not in a impulsive way, but in a thoughtful way.
0: So, okay. Say, say, put a, let's put a little frame around that because I, I love that topic. W- say more about that.
1: Well, um, to sort of understand, you know, that, um, Maybe there's something going on between you and the client and you're starting to feel devalued or you're starting to feel really angry and cranky Um, to understand, to notice that feeling fully. And acknowledge it in a mindful way, but then reflect on it in terms of what it means in the context of what our clients are showing us. So maybe it's possible that they're showing us or letting us know what it felt like to them to be devalued or what it was like for them when they learned about relationships where only one person's needs mattered Mm -hmm. and that they're showing you that. And that to sort of metabolize that and share that, share both, I, I'm feeling annoyed. I, mm-hmm. Like one of my, uh, one of the therapists who consults me just left me a message and she said, said something like, oh, my client canceled again and wants another phone session and <laughs> she never comes in and what should I do? And I'm thinking, you know, I said, only irritation, and she is creating with you a non mutual, non reciprocal relationship because the therapist didn't say, I'm fine with phone sessions. And I said, So she's showing you something, and find a way to let her know what it's like for you because it's what she experienced so much of her life,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Laurie. You've been doing this for for a while, um, yes. And a lot of the listeners here uh, certainly don't have that experience, and a lot of them are just you know quote unquote newer clinicians just starting out on this right. journey. Share with us a, a, a clinical error, a mistake, whatever you want to call it, um, yes. And what you learned from us? What you learned okay. from that rather? And and
1: okay, I, I would go I would ahead. Love to- yeah, uh, I think my early mistakes come in a category of I tried so hard not to make mistakes, and I was like this,
0: like, uh,
1: like I always showed up on time. I can
0: was you can you be specific exactly about a particular time. one? Can you get specific? A case, yeah,
1: with a client. Yeah. yeah, so I I always worked to be sort of like the perfect therapist, and I had this client. He was actually. Um, one of 11 children, and he had tremendous abandonment and neglect issues. And I came back from vacation, and I forgot his appointment. I just forgot (laughs) to show up. And I thought, oh, my God, I was mortified. But the, the lesson for me was, which has stayed one of the most important lessons, is when I met with him and I showed deep remorse about that I had forgotten it, that I encouraged him to express whatever feelings he had about it, um, that he could see that I felt bad, um, that I could talk to him about what repair was necessary, that I could acknowledge there had been um, a rupture between us. Like all of those things could get named and talked about. And instead of damaging the relationship, it deepened the trust. Mm. And I thought, oh, it's really not the mistakes. It's it's really the willingness for the therapist to own their part if they Ooh. do something and take responsibility for it and do repair. And that that actually is often just a step Stunning, meaningful experience
0: for clients. Wow, that's so powerful. So it's 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 not the fact that you you know one made a mistake, but it's it's the ability to get in there and own it and take responsibility for that and uh, what that yeah. I mean, that has so many. That it, you're modeling something, you're expressing exactly. something. And
1: that it's in some ways the opposite of abuse. Like usually when Mm -hmm. abuse happens to children, it's not named, it's not acknowledged, no one takes responsibility for it, there's no repair. And in some ways you're doing all of the opposite. You're naming it, you're letting people have feelings about it, you're showing remorse, you're being accountable.
0: Mm. Wow. This is awesome. I love it. Uh, So we're talking with um, Lori Kahn. Uh, Her book is Baffled by Love, Stories of the Lasting Impact of Childhood Trauma by Loved Ones. Uh, Everything we're talking about here is going to be up at the show notes page at the Trauma traumatherapistpodcast.com. All right. And your center is Women Care Counseling and Training Center. So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, You have... Kind of give us the the, the nutshell of what's going on at at your center.
1: Okay. Um, uh, We're a highly trauma-informed center. We do a lot of work with survivors, both male survivors and female survivors and children. Um, I run a training program for therapists who work with trauma. Um, to both learn about trauma, but also to be in community so they can get support and they can put words to their own vicarious trauma. Um, I would say if there's one thing I know absolutely for sure about being a trauma therapist is we should not do this alone or in isolation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my work in the field has been about providing those communities for other therapists.
0: So are the, the, the workshops or trainings that you provide, are they uh, in person? Are they online? Oh, they're in person. They're
1: absolutely in person.
0: Okay. Um, And and they're
1: with other persons. (laughs) Got it. it. So they're really, uh, we have, let me see what we have. We have like Eight ongoing groups. They all wow. meet once a month. Uh-huh. And so there's a group of people who are all doing trauma work and they're all in the trenches. And no matter how experienced or inexperienced they might be or new, um, we all have to grapple with the impact of the work on ourselves and our soul and our spirit. So to have a community where you can name that and talk about that as well as get case consultation and training um, seems like such a very needed resource in the field right now.
0: Awesome. 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 Um, all right. Let's talk about a uh, go-to book here, go-to book recommendation. Obviously, I'll have your book uh, linked up to here at the show notes page. But uh, you. And you could recommend one that's either trauma-related or not, but uh, what, would okay. you, what would you suggest?
1: Oh, okay. One of my uh, favorite trauma-related books is Counter-Transference and the Treatment of Trauma by Constance Dallenberg, because I think it's such a lovely book about uh, she does something really unique, which she she did a study about countertransference, but she did a study with clients about how they experience their therapists, And it's just beautiful.
0: Okay. I'm just trying to countertransference in the treatment of. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, Laurie, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you?
1: Um. One is Gmail would just be LoriCon at gmail dot com. I also have an author website, uh dot com and also the Women Care Counseling and Training Center website.
0: Okay. And that is uh, all one word, women W O M E N Care dot It's uh, yes. Yeah, awesome. Right. So well, you know what uh, I I'm, I'm feeling here from you is this this pretty incredible uh, ability to kind of be in relationship and the importance of that mm-hmm. you know what that means and this whole idea of uh, love I just uh, I think is so uh, inspiring to me because it immediately makes me think of what is required of uh you know, the clinicians, the, 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 yeah. the trauma workers themselves. And yeah. what a responsibility that is.
1: Yes. Yes. And a privilege both.
0: Ah, And a privilege. Man, let me, just one final question. <laughs> but was it challenging for you to get to this point where you were able to work like this?
1: Absolutely. I yeah. mean, it's, it, it's, um, <laughs> You know, I think one of the things that uh, trauma therapists, particularly more beginning therapists need to know is this work will change you Um, and it should and it can both sort of dishearten you but also can inspire you and it also can help you become more fully human and more fully aware. Um, also in the book is some memoirs. So part of what you learn in the book is I was not given um, a particularly good map of love myself and had lots I had to learn along the way too.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I'm, I'm really excited for the listeners to uh, hear this. I mean, you've just been showering the podcast here with these golden nuggets, really. Uh, it's, well, it, it's, it
1: was, uh, I so appreciate the work you're doing too and your dedication to trauma therapists.
0: Thanks, Laurie. I appreciate that. All right. Thanks so much for, for being here. Take care.
1: Okay. Thank you.
0: Alright folks, today's episode is brought to you by audible.com. I've teamed up with Audible to get you a free audiobook by going to the trauma slash free book. That's the trauma slash free book. They have over hundred and eighty thousand titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, your Kindle, MP3 player. Look, if you're like me and you love reading and you like getting information Wherever you can, whenever you can, from all over the place, this is a no-brainer. They have titles such as Trauma and Recovery by Judith Herman, The Body Keeps a Score by Bessel van der Kolk, and my recommendation most recently is Tribe by Sebastian Junger. Awesome book. They also have a pretty incredible return policy. How do I know this? Because I've used it multiple times. Once you remember, just go in, click on return, and that's it. You get a free book you get another shot at getting another book sound good get your free audiobook by going to the traumatherapistproject.com slash free book